Welcome to the B2B Mix Show with Elena and Stacy. Each week, we'll bring you ideas that you can implement in your own marketing strategy. We'll share what we know and advice from industry experts who will join us from time to time here on the show. Are you ready to mix it up? Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Stacy Jackson. And I'm Elena Jackson. We are the co-founders of Jackson Marketing. And in case you still haven't heard, we are also sisters. We're bringing you episode 25 of the B2B Mix Show. Stacy, what's the topic of today's episode? Today, we're going to talk about B2B marketing on social media, and we're speaking with a guy who knows a little something about the topic. His name is Scott Birdie, and he is the head of sales for TrueFan. We aren't just talking about the boring, same old, same old either. Scott's going to share his insights and tips on how the personal branding of your sales team managers and executive leaders can take your B2B brand further, especially on LinkedIn. And for all of you who've been dreaming about or are in the process of launching your own startup, we're going to pick his brain a little bit on what startup life is like, too. Elena, why don't you introduce our friend Scott to listeners? All right. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Scott. He is a lifelong learner and traveler with a diverse set of skills in sales, marketing, operations, and HR. With experiences that range from social media advisory and consulting for growing SaaS companies to operations management and business development. He's suited to lead an innovative sales engine after graduating from an international degree program in Australia and navigating his way through the business world for three years. He found an ideal position as the head of sales for TrueFan, a Canadian tech startup. After joining as a member of the founding team and helping build the business from the ground up, he's discovered the need for consistent physical and mental fitness, which he's now made a routine. Three things Scott would definitely not be here without are family, sports, and peanut butter. So Scott, welcome to the B2B Mix Show. Thank you very much for having me. I always enjoy working with you both uh, on the day-to-day. There's plenty of laughs, so I'm sure we're going to deal with a few of those over the course of this episode, but yeah. I was just going to say, I like you even more since you're such a peanut butter fan. I am too. (laughs) When uh, we worked at another company that were big in food service, and one of the things that they had in Canada was Kraft peanut butter, but they don't have Kraft peanut butter down in the U.S. That's so good. One of my contacts at at Kraft would always, she would bring an empty suitcase of Kraft peanut butter down for us because we thought it was like the best thing. (laughs) This wasn't just the two of us. This is when we worked for another company. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't bring a suitcase of peanut butter to us. (laughs) Everybody in the company was like, is Uh, she coming? Have her bring me peanut butter. (laughs) That sounds like the Christmas gift that I've always wanted, but never received. But uh, (laughs) I suppose like I I always make sure to keep that cupboard full of Kraft peanut butter um, (laughs) or various kinds if the others are on sale. Maybe you'll get a suitcase of it for Christmas this year then. Before we dig into our questions or and we are going to ask you about TrueFan, but is there any additional background about yourself or TrueFan you want to share before we get started? Um, I, I appreciate the introduction. And I guess, you know, travel has been a big part of my life. That was definitely something that taught me several life lessons. Being fortunate enough to finish my degree in another place in the world, literally on the other side of the world, learning a lot about kind of perspective and life. Yeah, that was something I didn't know. Oh, really? You didn't know that? Um well, we're yeah. learning a lot about each other already this episode, right? like peanut butter, 
international degree <laughs> program, but um, still enjoy traveling to this day. Definitely don't get to do it as much um, as I was then, but was recently in Vegas for NBA Summer League, meeting some of our investors and a couple of new potential clients, and then LA and San Diego. So that was quite nice. And I've also just actually, and I'm, I think this episode is going to be coming out in a matter of about two weeks, but I just signed an advisory agreement with a AI startup that is working on a predictive platform for sports. That's probably something that's the newest on my plate. But yeah, I do a little bit of social media consulting and advisory uh, alongside you guys at VanillaSoft. That's definitely been something that helped me pursue the startup dream at TrueFan and continue to pay the bills along the way when I didn't really have much else going for me. Yeah, it's been a fun little journey and I look forward to sharing some of it today and talking a little bit about how a lot of salespeople put themselves out there on social media to increase that demand generation that we're all looking for. I think that one of the things that a lot of people get hung up on is on social LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever, everybody talks a lot about B2B social best practices. And you take a post that's been published or a video and you take that as the gospel, like, oh, well, that this is exactly what I have to do. Do you think that there are some points that often get overlooked for B2B when it comes to that and growing your brand through social, specifically on LinkedIn? And do you think people maybe kind of confuse the personal brand with the company brand of the things that you're supposed to be doing one versus the other? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like I think with social, you can kind of go all over the place and like there's so much examples to look at, whether it be like just looking at LinkedIn, Instagram, um, Twitter is obviously one that I'm not so prevalent on, but like some people have done an outstanding job of building a brand on Twitter. I think I just didn't really start early enough in social media to, to make that happen. And that was one of those platforms that I I think I've recreated an account like three times now, just kind of like left, (laughs) came back, left, came back. But in terms of LinkedIn, particularly, because I'd say that's the one that relates most to B2B, I think about like some of the people who have developed a reasonable brand for themselves on that platform. And so many of them have done it in different ways. So you could point to, like you mentioned, so many different kind of types of content and things that you can share in order to develop a network for yourself. But I think one of the things that like somebody who we work with has done really well and that most people should be relatively cognizant about is you want to develop industry influence. And no matter what you're doing on the platform, you should probably have some sort of objective behind it. And so if that's creating relative influence in a particular industry or area of the B2B market, kind of creating pointed content and at least making that part of your normal content cycle. And then also filtering that out so you don't kind of drown your audience in that one type of content with other things that can relate to storytelling about your own experiences, some other potential work that you may be focused on, like, you know, a bit of vlogging or kind of the the classic like blogging about yourself in the day to day. But there's so many different types of content you can go on. What I don't believe does a very good job at creating demand or at least like marketing yourself in the B2B space is putting out content that is solely for the purpose of getting views and likes and comments. There's a way to generate like organic engagement for the right reasons. And there's definitely ways that you can look at doing it for the wrong reasons. And I say the wrong reasons in terms of what I just mentioned, like vanity metrics, because once you do start to see that you can get 
tens of thousands of views. And I think the algorithm has slowly started to kind of clamp down on LinkedIn, but it can be a little bit addicting. And I think when people get a little taste of that, they often just want to run with it and start to look at what other people are doing that's producing the most engagement and views and kind of copy that without much authenticity behind it. So that's what I would recommend not doing. And that might ruffle some feathers or some people may disagree. But at the end of the day, there, there could be a reason for it too, because all of these platforms are marketing tools. And I suppose you're trying to reach audiences. So reaching more people Maybe that, but I do think if you're creating content that serves a purpose for a specific audience, that if you do that enough, it's going to find that audience and that audience is going to find you. Isn't it Instagram that is going to start kind of hiding how many likes you have on your posts and stuff like that? Did I hear that? Oh, that's true. You probably... Yeah. They Well, they actually tested the whole no likes feature mm -hmm. in Canada. It, oh, I really? believe it's still going on. Let me... I'll literally open my phone now and pull up a couple Instagram posts, but I think that has a little bit to do more so with the mental health aspect of things. Mm -hmm. And and you can still see it if you have a business account on your end, how much likes you're getting. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty interesting concept and I think it's actually a great thing. Yeah. It's still going on here in Canada and I think they may have actually pushed it out to a few other countries, but I'm sure the US is probably the last one they have in mind to do that since it yeah. accounts <laughs> for the bulk of their users. And everybody's going to have a hissy fit about it. <laughs> yeah. I need my likes fix. Because it goes back to that, I need my vanity metrics. Come on. Yeah, seriously. And, and it's like Instagram too. I think that's kind of been the platform for like entrepreneurs to promote themselves. It can be seen a little bit on LinkedIn, but I don't think it's like a self-gloating of a platform. Like people are just trying to like point out trends and things like that, mm -hmm. even if they are a little bit more consumed by the vanity metrics. But it's not to say that like Instagram doesn't have its place for B2B marketing because at the end of the day, it definitely serves the biggest population of people. Right. And a large percent of those have to be mixed up in some way in the B2B space. But when you're looking to reach people who actually make decisions, if that has to do with your actual sales process, I don't think that it really serves as a purpose to like try and go find those people with specific types of content. Like you could try and try and try again, but maybe more so as like a touch point that they can kind of refer to similar to like, you know, when students are taught coming out of high school or university that like if their Facebook page is full of them drinking and partying and going out with their friends all the time, that that's not going to reflect well when they start to apply <laughs> for jobs. If, if you do kind of put yourself forward in the same way that you'd want to be seen on those other platforms like LinkedIn and you're not creating this like alternative persona for yourself, mm -hmm. then at least that's like a crutch that you can always stand on. You know what I mean? Because it is where people spend the bulk of their time on social media. Hey folks, let's take a break to hear about today's sponsor. And we are back. So as far as the personal brand idea and how B2B marketers can make use of their executives or employees' presence, you've done a really great job helping an executive that we all work with getting his uh, visibility out there, and it's definitely helped shape the corporate LinkedIn page too. What tips do you have for other B2B brands when it comes to getting leaders in the company involved? Because some just really don't want to get on there and do video or or even post anything that they think could be in the least bit controversial. What What is the best advice to both marketers and those executives to embrace personal branding um, mainly in terms of what they should be posting like types of content just the whole concept I, I see as a whole maybe 
Yeah, we've seen ha- hesitancy of, of executives even doing it. So how do you encourage them? And Because the one I have in mind that we all work with probably has no hesitancy for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, others that's, do. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, first and foremost, I, sh- I want to mention the one that we do work with, he has done a fantastic job and a big yeah. part of our combined success, and I include you two as a part of that as well, is you know everyone's willingness to kind of push forward in that certain direction and kind of support it in the way that we all needed to because it definitely wasn't just me like i i may have helped at a certain point with the execution and some of the content that went along with that but it doesn't come full circle you know especially in terms of optimizing the actual brand's presence on the platform which was in essence the end goal for creating a personal brand for him and if we don't all kind of buy into that vision and put out the content on those different channels the way we need to be doing it and you two both keep a really keen eye on, you know, the volume of content on the brand page and how that's affecting the views and the engagement that we're also getting on that page, because it doesn't just stem from the one person creating a personal brand for themselves. Mm-hmm. And he would also point out maybe that I am an expert, quote unquote, for the social social media's personal branding, whatever it may be in terms of advisory on that front. And I don't feel as though I am. I, I definitely think over a certain period of time, like I did it myself and I was able to pick up on pretty key little principles, even in terms of the the ones that people hear all the time, like consistency and things of that nature. But because it's constantly changing so much and because these platforms are driven by algorithms that want to keep people guessing, like it's tough to call almost anybody, I think, an expert in that space. I think it's just whether or not you're doing the best job that you can at creating that brand for yourself. So When it comes to kind of pushing executives to get interested in that type of stuff, one, you definitely have to have somebody who does understand the opportunity that sits in front of them. There's an opportunity on LinkedIn, particularly because I I believe it's still, and it may not be, but under 1% of, you know, 500 million plus users that are actually creating consistent content. And when you look at that number, even if it was slightly over 1% now, which I don't believe it is, all of those people that are creating content, only a sliver of them are actually creating original content that's native to that platform. What I mean Mm -hmm. by that is he was a good example of somebody who was creating some very consistent content for a period of time, but that content wasn't actually created. It was aggregated from a source that looks at industry articles and easily can be automated to post those articles on his page to kind of keep up that consistent content. Now, that's not going to get seen by anybody because hopefully, as most of the people listening to this podcast know, if you're sharing content that is pushing people off of a social platform, then that social platform doesn't really want to get you seen a whole lot. So my biggest thing up front to him was, look, I know that you're a 10-year company, the one that he had just joined, um, which you had been working for both of you for, was it about five to six years when I started to help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, there was an established presence. Marketing maybe wasn't at the forefront of their agenda for a period of time. And that was kind of more or less thrown on your shoulders. And, you know, there's so much that goes into that that doesn't fall on social media side of things, like in terms of marketing ops and direct marketing, email marketing, like all, all of the things that you really need to have a proper functioning company and continue to take advantage of the different contacts you have stored in your database. But he knew that they needed to kind of create more of a forward facing brand for themselves. And the easiest way to do that as a brand 
is through the individuals that work for your brand because people associate more with people. They don't really associate very much with brands, but if they found the content that a person is sharing from a particular company interesting, then naturally they're going to be a little bit more inclined to learn more about the company. And as that becomes a trickle effect of consistency through the content that that person's sharing to create a personal brand and some thought leadership or subject matter expertise for themselves, then that brand will slowly start to get a constant stream of viewership from the content that is being pushed out through that personal channel. You know, first of all, him being on board with this whole idea and understanding that that was a trend that was going on on LinkedIn made my job a lot easier because I had a lot less convincing to do. <laughs> and, you know, I was pretty upfront about the social presence, you know, not really being there um, to some degree and mm -hmm. in a large part due to the fact that nobody at the company was creating content. So him understanding that and then being willing to also do the things like recording video, creating consistent content, like at least more than one to two pieces a week to start establishing yourself in that ecosystem was really important. And for the executives that are kind of on the fence or, or really just don't really see the value of doing that, I question whether or not you see the value of demand generation because how are you getting the name for your brand out there? Would you trust that it's just through PPC, SEO, potentially Facebook advertising and a number of other maybe more used alternatives uh, that people have been relying on for the last five to 10 years? Maybe, but you are the face of your brand. So if you aren't making an effort to show who you are and relate some of the things that you're doing back to how the brand is positioning itself in the market, then how will people come to know the new things and the innovation that you are bringing down as a brand? Does that make sense, I suppose? The logo can take it so far on social. You've got to have the people there that show, hey, we're credible, real people. Yeah. yeah well, 100%. And like, well, the only thing I was going to add is like, I think one of the things that we still continue to struggle with to this day is getting total buy-in from the rest of the company. Like having one executive do it is great, but th that's just one person that's popping up in news feeds of hundreds of millions of people. Y you can't control who you're seeing. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to give you more views. Like you naturally get pushed into the news feed a lot more as a human than you do a brand. Mm -hmm. And that's another huge reason why you need to be creating content from a personal side more so than the brand side. Although it, again, it needs to be a combination of both. If you don't have multiple people at the company doing it, then it's, there's just a cap on how well you're going to do in terms of the content creation leading to whether it be new leads or awareness and action, education, all of those types of things that we're trying to achieve as marketers. You need the people to buy in who also work under that executive. Yeah. And whether that's just through engaging with that content and some of the company content that's on the platform or starting to create a personal brand themselves, which is naturally going to benefit their position and their success in that role at the company. If it doesn't happen, then again, you just kind of reach a wall at a certain point. So, you know, it goes without saying that like, you can't do everything on your own, right? I think right. we all know that by now. And the more people that do get involved, the more success you're going to have as a group. I was just going to say people walk away from jobs or get a winning lotto ticket and you can't just put all your eggs in one social media stars basket. So you got to have all your executives or at least several out there participating. Right. And, and consider the fact that he kind of, he has catapulted the reach for the brand 
by being that visible person. So imagine if there were multiple people doing it. And I think that's what a lot of companies don't get how important that is. And I think a lot of them kind of focus on they're scared because they know how much video is today. Do you think that that is something that holds people back from wanting to be the face? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely do think that's something that holds people back. It held me back initially. And I think the same can be said about podcasts as well. Like you may not even have to be creating video, but just the willingness to kind of put your voice out there and be a little bit vulnerable for a period of time as you start to hone in on the skills that you build as you do record video and more public facing content. If you're not comfortable with doing that, then there's going to be a natural crutch or I suppose faultiness to the type of content that you're going to produce. Like at a certain point in time, you need to produce video if you're planning on really making a splash on social media. So if you don't really feel comfortable getting in front of the camera and sharing a few thoughts, even if those are written out or planned, kind of created for the purpose of just putting it in front of the camera, then you're not going to reach the amount of people that you'd have the chance of reaching. It's just getting pushed into the newsfeed more. So you need to create video. And I'm sure, you know, with the general age gap of like, most executives out there, it's easy to understand why they might not be so comfortable with that facet of media. But like if, put it this way, I suppose, if your company was doing extremely well, and you were offered to be on the news, you know, as some sort of highlight for some achievement that you'd just come through with as a group, would you say no to that just because you don't feel comfortable on camera? The likelihood is no, you'd probably trip up several times even if you weren't very good on video, but that would be worth it in itself, even if the content wasn't gold. You still do it, yeah. Yeah, you're still going to go on TV and take that interview. The same can be said about creating a personal brand. You don't have to make videos for every piece of content, but make sure that you're doing it and know that if you're not, you're just not going to be successful as the people and likely your competitors that are. Right. As far as like... Pet peeves are big no-nos that you see people making. What are some things that you would tell those executives that are trying to really create that personal brand for themselves to avoid, and especially on LinkedIn, and even some B2B marketers that are trying to build up their personal presence? Are, are there anything that you see people doing that you're, you just shake your head and are like, no, don't do that? Copying other people's content generally, like when you see a great idea, there's a way to spin your own version of that. And But when you're, you're, you're just repeating subjects that have come up verbatim on a certain platform, that's not going to really create the personal brand that you're looking for to attract you know, new potential buyers and things of that nature to your brand. It's likely that they've already seen it from competitors. So mm-hmm. what's going to be different about when you put it out? That really gets to me at certain points in time. But the other aspect is really how much you're promoting the company versus how much you're actually in it to create a personal brand. And the company has to buy into the fact that the personal brand is going to benefit the company, not only in the long run, but even in the short term, because that is directly optimizing their brand image and their brand presence on the platform each time you create content, whether that's related to the company and happenings, new sales, experiences, stories, whatever it may be or not. So make sure you have a steady stream of different types of content and you don't get caught in this kind of hamster wheel of 
promoting the podcast, promoting your webinars, promoting, you know, the, the latest press release, promoting a new feature update. Um, like there's just, there's so many things that are constantly happening inside of a company that you could shout about, but they're also, they're also getting shared across the brand channels. And those are also getting shared on, you know, press releases, company news pages, different things of that nature. So it's not up to you to just be like the what do they call that megaphone for the company? Mm -hmm. What you're trying to do is slowly create subject matter expertise so that people are looking to tune in to the content that you're sharing week in and week out and start to really want to engage with it so that it starts to reach further audiences that you're trying to reach. You know what I mean? Creating content for the purpose of value is definitely something that gets thrown around a lot, but I think that can also weigh on perspective. If you don't have the right perspective around what value means, then you can often confuse that for value, meaning all the types of content that are very much driven to educate your potential client. Value is a thing that can often be associated with something as simple as a story, like I'll pull one out right now. Value in itself can be seen at all levels. One time I went to the grocery store and there's a homeless person just across the street from where I live in Toronto at the No Frills who's pretty much sitting right at the entrance every single day. Most of the time, 99% of the people that I see just walk by him, even though he's asking for change. One of the people that I saw coming out of the store one time stopped and didn't give him money, but gave him a little bit of perspective. He said, you know, rather than sitting here and asking for people's money when they're walking in and out of the stores, why not go and offer to return the shopping carts that have a 25 cent coin in it each time somebody pushes that out to their car? Because then you get to keep the 25 cent coin, which is essentially what you're hoping for anyways. And you're providing them with a reason to let you do that, basically give you that money in some cases without maybe even realizing, but you're giving them that value. And so like sharing stories and, and, and really diversifying your content so that it's not just about the company is definitely one of the keys, especially on LinkedIn, to creating a very solid personal brand for yourself. So when we're talking about value, one of the things that I've noticed is a huge annoyance of mine <laughs> with people is when they, they think that they're adding value because they're commenting on a post and they're like, great, great post. To me, that just is so annoying. Should people do that or no? I think maybe going back to the subject of getting employee buy-in and engagement from the surrounding parts of the company, if executives are creating a personal brand for themselves, you know, if you're using something like a Slack channel as a way to share each other's social content internally with the rest of the company so that you can get engagement like likes or even comments for that matter that are potentially not adding a ton of conversation, then I think that's pretty smart because it, like you're trying to spread that content in an ecosystem where each of your employees kind of exist, right? Like each of the employees are inevitably connected to people in and around that space. And it's about reaching their secondary audiences and that whole secondary network effect. However, I agree with you. I think at a certain point in time, you need to start adding to the conversation versus just adding to add to the vanity that comes with comments because it adds to the viewership and the reach of each particular piece of content. And some of the things that drive me nuts are those like engagement pods. If everyone's in it for the same type of reason and most of those people are committed to adding solid pieces of value to the conversation or questions and things that are going to spur on additional conversation and dialogue, you know, discourse, even if it is disagreement, like that's something that uh, the person who we work with is extremely, extremely good at. And I would almost bet that 
maybe about one eighth of his network has probably come from a result of seeing his comments and recognizing his willingness to disagree um, mm -hmm. with people who are, are, are putting out something that's opinionated, but doesn't actually back it up with facts, then they find that interesting. And they want to make sure mm -hmm. that like following that person, they're going to be able to see in the future more and more of those different instances across different pieces of content. And the way that the newsfeed works, you know, the, the last point I'll make on that front is not only your content, it's when people have commented on certain posts. So if you do go out and leave thoughtful pieces of uh, dialogue and conversation and discussion as a comment on those different content pieces, that's actually going to land in people's news feeds. And as a result, they'll see that content, but they're most more than likely going to be interested in reading what the comment has to say. You know what I mean? And then potentially getting more context from that piece of content. So before we leave the topic of social media for B2B and talk about true fans, is there anything else you want to add? There's not too much that I would add to you know, a conversation that we've had. I would say like if anybody has questions about how they can kind of create some subject matter expertise um, and build a presence around not only their brand, but potentially the company that they work for on LinkedIn and other platforms. I mean, send me a message on LinkedIn, a personalized invite of some sort, just asking about it, saying you heard it on the B2B Mix show. My name is Scott Bertie. Obviously, it'll likely be in the show notes or the title. Um, and I'd be more than happy to you know, lend a little bit of my time to help answer a couple of questions um, or challenges that you may be facing right now. I think the biggest thing is just realizing the opportunity that exists out there for creating a personal brand on social media um, and how that will in the short term, but especially, especially, especially in the long term, start to affect your company and slowly catapult your company into the place where you likely hope to see it. And it's not just about social media. Obviously, you still need to do all the other things that lead a company to be successful and you know land itself on like the the fortune list or something like that but that's a huge piece of the puzzle right now and if you're turning a blind eye to it you're just not giving your right foot forward okay so i am very interested to learn more about true fan i went and watched that tech toronto video that swish and i can't remember the other person's name had out there but i i'd love oh, to hear Onyx. more yeah yeah from uh you firsthand what what is the whole premise of true fan and what's startup journey like i mean i watch silicon valley on hbo but i'm sure <laughs> it's nothing as crazy as that i hope <laughs> no i can't i i can't say it's as crazy as the show um however during the very beginning stages of true fan and when, when i kind of was lucky enough to get involved with the project I, my, both myself and each of my roommates were watching that show pretty uh on a pretty quick pace. So we, we definitely <laughs> gone right through that thing. And it was, that's a hell of a good show. It does yeah. have some very similar principles and like kind of uh, paint a picture that is slightly similar to the situation that we're in right now. But, <laughs> you know, we work out of Toronto. We're a Canadian based tech startup. So we're definitely not down in the valley where things are probably 10x uh, what we have access to and, you know, just the type of culture that you're around here. TrueFan is essentially a social intelligence platform that we've been building, which helps brands and influencers manage their key followers, sell to their top fans, reward the type the right fans, and find new audiences that are highly primed for conversion on social media. 
you know, so kind of explaining what that actually means is we're integrated with Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and at a very basis of what we do, we show you who your key audiences are on each one of those platforms, breaking it down into who your engaged fans are and giving you a look at who out of those engaged fans are also influential or at the very basis, who's influential that follows you. And that helps to expedite a number of different key objectives around the social media marketing space for brands these days. Maybe not as much on the B2B side of things, although we do have a couple technology clients, but um, in terms of influencer marketing, the right types of targeting, community is something that a lot of brands are paying a lot of attention to right now. So the community management side of their social presence, rewarding the right types of people, obviously customer acquisition being a very big thing and something that most you know higher level decision makers are really keying on as a KPI. And, and a number of other initiatives. But yeah, that's essentially what we do. And it's definitely been a pretty wild journey since I got started, in, uh, which was late 2017 as a result of networking on LinkedIn. So, you know, LinkedIn isn't just a platform where you can create brand recognition for yourself uh, as a company who may be in the B2B space or even B2C space, but it's definitely a great place for, you know, personal branding uh, with the purpose of, developing your personal career, your professional career, habits, skills, and, and a lot of different things and just meeting new like-minded people. So that's kind of what happened to me. And it's been a blessing, although at times I probably don't look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you've you've worked with some really cool people so far. And uh, I saw Ryan Holmes on your website as someone that has somehow been involved in your startup journey. And uh, different like Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, we're, we're definitely lucky. We get to like, we don't discriminate against industries, <laughs> put it that way. We get to dabble across <laughs> a lot of different industries. So I touched on how we serve a couple of technology-based clients that are definitely in the B2B space. But some of the other industries that we touch right now in terms of where clientele exists, it's about 30% on the agency side. Most of those agencies represent various brands um, for certain initiatives on the marketing end. We work with MLSE that you mentioned. So they are the governing kind of body for the Toronto Raptors, the Maple Leafs, uh, Argonauts, their MLSE team here, and a number of those farm teams, as well as an esports team, which they recently started. It's a pretty big organization. Uh, we did a cool little giveaway, in fact, prior to game one of the finals, a little shout out for the Raptors, NBA champions. That was a pretty awesome time to be in Toronto. And yeah, Ryan Holmes is a uh, an advisor on our team. We've we've been blessed with a number of rock star advisors and investors. We we have a couple of NBA players who have invested yeah. as angels. Michelle Romana, who is one of the notable dragons, she was the youngest ever uh, entrepreneur to join the Dragons Den. A lot of Canadians will know her if if you're in America. Just search up Michelle with one L, and I would imagine she'll top Google. Manny Pata, who's the Entrepreneur of the Year here in Canada, is an amazing amazing angel and venture investor. We've had venture capital commitment from where we now work, which is round 13, led by Bruce Croxon, who's also a part of the Dragons Den. Dragons Den, by the way, for American listeners, are it's the Canadian version of Shark's Tank. So some some notable entrepreneurs here in the country. And then, yeah, on the advisory That's side, awesome. like Ryan was gracious enough to actually let us work out of Hootsuite when we first had funding. Um, so I had moved across the country driving from Ottawa to Vancouver, which is on the West Coast. And less than six weeks later, we got commitment at a relatively early stage from round 13, which led me to driving 
well, I didn't drive my own car, thankfully. I couldn't sacrifice another week, but right back across the country to like five hours past Ottawa and Toronto, which is where I now reside. So it's been a crazy journey. And, you know, I'm sure we're kind of getting to the end here. I don't want to take too much longer, but one thing that's worth pointing out, um, kind of moving back to the purpose of the show, which is B2B marketing on social, is we are a B2B platform predominantly. We 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 could be oriented towards the B2C market. And, you know, I touched on the fact that we help influencers, but at this point in time, with the limited resources and people we have, it's hard to market to influencers on any sort of one-to-one level. So we've focused most of our time on B2B and mm-hmm. One of the things that has really, really helped us is the fact that we're all very active on social media and particularly LinkedIn. It's led to brand recognition that I'm, I'm constantly shocked at, to be you know, fully honest. We go to conferences and it seems like everybody in the room knows or has heard of who we are. So that just goes to show you the power that social media can have for your brand in the B2B world. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys are doing a great job and we see you all over and I know that you're traveling a lot because so, we hear about you traveling and so things are act- are happening and so we're super happy that things are going in a good direction for you guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, don't forget us when you hit the really good time. <laughs> could, could never. I, like I said, the, <laughs> some of those Slack chats that we have, I'd pay to be involved with those things on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes I just look to those when I'm having a, a relatively bad day, but um I appreciate the kind words. And at the end of the day, like you can really create a brand that people think is synonymous with, I guess, success or, or a very high level of business. But look, we're, we're venture backed and we have these great investors, but at the end of the day, our business is actually in debt when you, when you kind of think about the numbers and like, we're slowly starting to build momentum on the sales side and we're seeing some really good signs. We're lucky enough to work with some amazing clients at this point in time, but it's it's really slow building and one step at a time. So we're making progress, but it can seem as though it's going a lot better than maybe it is at times. And it doesn't happen overnight. I think a lot of people have that misconception. It takes a lot of hard work and and time for it to get there. So, But you guys are doing good. <laughs> yeah, not an overnight success. We have one last question we'd like to wrap our conversations up with is just a just for fun questions. If you weren't head of sales for True Fan, what would be your dream job? Ooh, excellent question. I think if I was answering that as a between the ages of eight and twelve, um, as a Canadian born kid in Montreal who got raised in Ottawa, I always dreamt of being a pro hockey player at that age. However, that was quickly not working out uh, by the time I was into my teens. So <laughs> I, I had to kind of readjust my expectations. I, I think, you know, I've been blessed to work around sports now. And for years, I, I felt as though I was kind of drifting around the professional space, not exactly knowing what types of skills I was building. But one of the things that I've always dreamed about is, is working in and around sports. And it doesn't account for all of our clients, but it definitely has a lot of play, uh, what we're doing right now in the professional sports space and even beyond with sports betting applications and lots of other companies that are in and around that world. I've always thought that being an agent would be super cool because you get to interact with players like all the mm-hmm. time. So that might have been something that I put my marbles into. I can see but that. As long as it really doesn't involve too much of the law side, because I, I don't think I could have ever put myself through that type of education. Kudos to anybody who really goes like, full tilt with the master's degrees and doctorates and stuff like i gotta i gotta admit it i kind of scapegoated my way into a really time effective 
uh, post-secondary education route. I got a diploma at a college, which is slightly different here than it is university. And that was for marketing. I took a year and a half off. I was still serving as a waiter. Mm-hmm. And I took that degree option in Australia because out of the two years that I was in college, they gave me a year and a half worth of the credits towards the degree, which is only three years, not four down there. So I had three semesters of university in Australia, which I'm just going to throw it out there. I didn't attend all of the classes. They had these things called lecture capture and I could listen to the lectures (laughs) whenever I wanted. So if it was a nice Mm -hmm. day and I had to decide between beach or class, I'll just let you listeners think of which decision I made (laughs) under those circumstances. That's a hard decision to make. (laughs) (laughs) So Scott, you already mentioned your LinkedIn. Is there any other contact information or social that you'd Uh, like to share with people? Absolutely. Thank you for the plug. Um, Instagram would probably be the other one. Uh, It's Scott underscore Bertie. And at the end of the day, I mentioned if you have any questions or you wanted to reach out and have a quick conversation to do so on LinkedIn, I would actually preface that by saying, don't do it on LinkedIn if you actually want to talk to me. Sometimes I don't get back to requests on that platform as much as I would on Instagram because I'm really not an influencer by any stretch of the imagination, especially on Instagram. I'm just a normal everyday user. So I'll see a DM if it pops into my request box um, or if you start to follow me. On the other hand, on LinkedIn, I tend to get sidetracked because some of my work is on that platform. And uh, I don't know, it's just messages are the worst. Once you click on that message box, if you don't respond, sometimes those things get lost. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Scott. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on, Elena and Stacy. I love working with you too. And I've learned a tremendous amount from both of you. So kudos to starting the show. And um, I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow. Okay, people, that's a wrap. If you want to get in touch with me or Stacy, you can hit us up on social. On Twitter, you can find Stacy at Stacy underscore Jax. That's S-T-A-C-Y underscore J-A-X. And you can find me at Elena underscore Jax. That's A-L-A-N-N-A underscore J-A-X. And hey, maybe you're not a Twitter fan. Look us up on LinkedIn, Stacy Jackson or Elena Jackson. We will respond to you with any questions you might have if you reach out to us. Finally, don't forget, you can also leave us a voicemail on the Anchor mobile app. All right, people. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Bye. The B2B Mix Show is hosted by Stacey Jackson and Elena Jackson of, you guessed it, Jackson Marketing. If you need help with your B2B inbound marketing efforts, visit us at jacksonmarketingservices.com.